0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Pastor Joey. I'm the lead pastor here at Vertical Life Church. For those of you that are new, we have a philosophy here that everybody matters to God. And so you matter. We pray that you sense His presence and that you receive a touch from God today. And I believe that if you come with an open heart, ready to receive, God is going to do a work in your life. So those of you that have been coming for a long time and those of you that are brand new today... We all matter. Jesus gave his life to prove it, and we just thank God for his grace and mercy each and every day. We just have a couple of quick announcements. Uh, just our regular uh, plan of service this week, uh, aside from the video. The video is the men's conference we have this coming weekend, March 1st and 2nd. Uh, it will be going down this Friday. We'll be meeting at the Clio uh, carpool parking lot just next to Applebee's here in Clio at 445. If you have men, if you're going to attend with us, please be there, and then we're going to ar- arrange our car situation there. I think we can get about seven guys in my van. Uh, we have roughly 10 that said that they want to go, so Uh, We may, if you have a larger vehicle and be willing to drive, please see me after the service and uh, we'll get in contact with you about that and we'll we'll make those arrangements. But uh, we'll be meeting at 445. We'll leave at 5. It takes about an hour to get there. Uh, doors open at 6. Bring your $20 with you because we'll pay at the door. And uh, it's going to be an exciting time. I, there, there's going to be axe throwing. There's tough man competitions. Those of you that believe that you, know, you still got what it takes will have a chance to prove that. If you don't believe you have what it takes, you'll get to see everybody else miserably fail trying to do that. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, and uh, also a time where God is just going to get a hold of our hearts. He's going to challenge us as men to be men of God and to live a godly legacy. And so you definitely don't want to miss that. Please, please, please mark your calendars. Friday, it'll be Friday evening, and then again Saturday morning. We'll be driving back both times. Our normal service times this week is Senior Worship Guide. On Tuesday evenings at seven o'clock, we do a Celebrate Recovery program that is uh, an opportunity for everyone who's a Christ follower and even those who don't believe in Christ to find healing and hope for every hurt, habit, and hang-up that they have in their life. So if you recognize you're not completely perfect and you have areas that you need to work on in areas of your life you need to surrender to God, or maybe just things you wish you could overcome that you've never found freedom, plan on coming and being with us Tuesday evening, 7 o'clock, at New Covenant Church, where we host our Celebrate Recovery program. It'll be the first step that you take in a complete turnaround in your life. I guarantee it. So definitely come and plan for that. Wednesday evenings, we have our small group Bible studies we call Life Groups. Uh, right now, it's held in the Callahan's home. Uh, uh, we had a great group last week that met. We've been going through the Sunday morning service uh, messages. So we've been going through the sermon series. We've been studying, diving deeper, asking questions, giving stories, and, and and how we relate. It's just an awesome time to encourage each other in the Word and pray for each other and, and uh Uh, help one another live for the glory of God and to see God's blessings come in our lives. So uh, Wednesday nights at 7, if you miss a Sunday morning service, this would be a great time to catch back up and get connected so that you stay connected to what God is doing here at Vertical Life Church. So those are our announcements. We're going to pray and we're just going to continue with what God's doing even in beginning with our worship. We're going to ask the Spirit of God to be with us here today. Because we're, we're going to be touching on, I think, which is a vital subject. It's kind of like my own life story. Things that I've had to endure, go through, analyze, and even things I'm continuing to work on today. And I believe it's relative to this current generation that we live in. And so we want to have ears to hear and a heart that is ready to understand. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so good. God, your love is extravagant and it doesn't make sense. God, you, you're not like other religions where we have to try to find you and chase you down. God, you, on the other hand, are chasing us. You're seeking us out. You just want to love us. And we look at how broken we are, every mistake that we've made, every frail team, every time that we just fail in the littlest of ways, God, but yet your love overcomes that. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, every sin is forgiven. Every brokenness is mended. Every hurt can be healed. And we just proclaim that today, God, that there will be healing today. There will be hope today, God, that people are going to get touched today, and they're going to receive a revelation from God, from you, Father, for what their purpose is and the direction that they need to take with their lives, God. So we just, we just thank you, Lord. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and fill this place. I just proclaim the hard hearts will be softened now in the name of Jesus, Lord. And deaf ears will be open to hear and receive the word that you had, God. And I pray that you give us a vision for our our nation. Give us a vision for our city, our state. Give us a vision for the very culture that you've called us to impact each and every day with our lives. And give us the faith to step into that vision. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said Amen. Amen and amen. So again, welcome. We are in week six of this series. We're calling Walk with the Wise. It is a study in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs was written by the wisest man to ever live. And in this study, in the book of Proverbs, we're studying this book to help us grow in wisdom to grow in wisdom as we pursue God's purposes for our ministry and our church this year. I really believe as I was praying for this this coming year, what God was going to lead us into, I believe he spoke a word to my heart and said, this was going to be a year of growth. And that it wasn't just what we would probably think in church world, that it's going to be, oh, we're just going to have uh, all these people, masses of people start coming to our church, not just church growth. And we've had guests and we've had people come and that growth is awesome. We pray for more and more and more. But more importantly, it is spiritual growth, growth in our own lives. If we're not growing to match the pace of what God is doing, we will get left behind or we won't be prepared as a faithful people of God to handle the ministry that God is preparing us for. And so there's more than just physical growth this year, but spiritual growth this year. I believe in my heart that God has an abundant blessing and favor he wants to pour out on us. And that comes from a people who live according to his word and develop a hunger for his presence like nothing else they have in their lives. Uh, God said in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. God is waiting and ready to pour out favor, blessing, healing in our nation, in our city, in our own lives. But he's waiting on a people to be hungry enough to pursue him so it can happen. He wants us to develop a hunger for his presence that is unmatched like anything else in our lives. And one of the major areas we need and I need to grow in is in the area of wisdom. Because often it's through foolish attitudes, thoughts, feelings, and desires that our enemy, the devil, is able to trip us up in the ways that bring dysfunction and pain into our lives. And it's so easy. Can I get an amen? I mean, isn't it? Every day, it's so easy. One wrong look from your spouse, one off tone, one person that forgot how to drive that day, and bam, the devil's got us. The wisdom of God is given to lead us to a blessed life, not a cursed life. Enemy wants to curse us. God wants to bless us. But to acquire the wisdom of God, it first begins with fearing him. And that means reverencing Him, developing a reverence for God that is so deep that it develops a drive in you to seek Him in every area of your life, to surrender every area of your life to Him. And say, God, it's yours. God, I'm yours. In this area, it doesn't look like what I want, but if that's what you want, I surrender to it. It's what God desires. And interesting enough, God's Word has wisdom to share about every area of life. There's not a question you will have in life that you will not find an answer for in the Scripture. Last week we began uh, uh, talking we talked about parenthood. We, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at different stages of life. We started with talking about legacy and, and wisdom for the latter days. Last week it was about parenting and parenthood, and as we've begun to address these different stages, and today, we're going to take a look at a vital issue in our culture, in our world and in our lives, and that is wisdom for adolescence. Somebody say adolescence. Adolescence. Now interesting enough, and and when I look at this topic, I believe especially in our day, the book of Proverbs especially applies to adolescents. When you look at even just how the book was written from a father to a son, and it was written to help us avoid the pitfalls of life that most young adults or young people fall into that create pain and suffering down later in life. There are many pitfalls and traps the enemy sets for us when we're young that ends up causing consequences and struggle later in our lives. And so this book is aptly applicable to adolescence. Now the term adolescence, if, if you're not quite sure what we're really talking about, according to Google's online dictionary, adolescence is the period following the onset of puberty during which a young person develops from a child into an adult. The adolescent years are the formative years between childhood and adulthood. Now, that period of time used to be very clearly defined. It used to be very clearly defined. But today in our culture, in the day in which we live, those years are blurred lines. They're very blurred. We talked last week about the goal of parenting, that there are really two goals, biblical goals for parenting. One is that parents are to prepare their kids to be successful and... and, and, uh, successful adults, that one day they'll leave their father and mother. They're to raise them up so that they can leave their father and mother and cling to their spouse, create a family of their own, be self-sufficient and successful. The secondly, the second purpose of parenthood is God wants each parent to raise godly offspring, which means you know, deep down, the core of our being, we aren't just raising successful adults. We're raising a children that will grow into adults who fear and honor the Lord. Those are the two main goals in our lives, our goals for parenthood, that we would have children that love the Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if you just open your eyes and look around, you'll see that there's been a lack of proper training among many parents, a lack of achieving those goals, and it's more and more evident in the current and younger generations. Our culture is becoming less and less Christian every day. We've bought into atheistic, naturalistic, and and different ways of thinking and culture of thinking that have influenced and penetrated and influenced even the church beyond what the Scripture has for decades now. And the evidence is very apparent in our society. According to an article on NPR's website, this is from 11 years ago, in 2008, it's entitled Young Men Stuck in Adolescence, or Adult Limbo. Kay Heimowitz argues that it's time for the 20 and 30-year-old guys to put down the Xbox controller and grow up. It wasn't long ago, Heimowitz says, that the average man in his mid-20s had achieved many of life's major milestones. He had a job, a marriage, perhaps even kids and a house. Today's mid-20-something male lingers happily in a new hybrid state of semi-hormonal adolescence and responsible self-reliance, and social scientists are struggling to define this new phase of life. They're calling it emerging adulthood or delayed adolescence. Heimowitz has selected to use the term child man. Adolescence appears to be the young man's default state, and the behavior is encouraged and reinforced by pop culture, television, the gaming industry in particular. We talked about a few, few weeks ago, about a month ago, to guard our influences. And there's a trend among millennials and young people that for a growing majority, the reality of adulthood is prevented because there's an innate desire to remain in a childlike state and have an eternal dependency on their parents. And that works against accepting responsibility and working toward becoming a completely self-sufficient, successful adult. And there's a fear now in our culture or a social anxiety associated with cutting the proverbial cord for young people, so to speak. And it prevents them from having the faith, confidence, or even desire and drive to go out on their own. And I never thought I would see the day. Like, I used to to play video games quite a bit. There there are things that I used to do, and and I'm preaching to myself in this message. But even so, I never thought I'd see the day where Ivy League schools, like like, like top-tier schools, would be offering full-ride scholarships to video gamers to do what they're calling now professional esports. Like, you don't even have to, like, be able to slam a dunk or dunk a basketball anymore. You can just push an A button and get in. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, that, we're giving full scholarships to, to kids just to play video games. Our culture is not helping the maturation of our youth. They are entering a more so if you can't beat them, just join them mentality. Another article on the same site is entitled Generation Next in the Slow Lane to Adulthood, and they state recent studies find interesting differences among today's young people compared with those of decades past. There's even a new term for the generation ages 18 to 25. It's called Generation Next, a new label for this period of development or emerging adulthood. Jeffrey Arnett, a developmental psychologist at Clark University, coined the term emerging adult, and Arnett says a number of cultural changes over the past five decades have created this lengthened path to adulthood. Go back 50 years, the median age of marriage for women was 20, for men was 22. And likely, they had their first child within a year, says Arnett. And back in 1960, most people in their early 20s had chosen a life partner, finished their education, and were in a stable job if they were male, full-time mothers if they were female. But none of that exists today, says Arnett. Developmental psychologist Larry Nelson of Brigham Young University recently completed a study that appears in December's Journal of Family Psychology. Nelson surveyed 392 unmarried college students and at least one of their parents, he wanted to know if parents considered their child ages 18 to 26 an adult or not. And the study showed that over 80% of mothers and fathers said, no, my child is not yet an adult. And it's not just financial ties, the financial dependency that's creating this lengthened adolescence. These young people are also emotionally dependent on their parents. There becomes like a security net in a sense. They become emotionally dependent on their mother and father. And they go on to say these emotional ties are created because of an enablement culture within the home, not an empowerment in culture that promotes going on to be self-sufficient. Parents today, when looking at their children ages 18 to 26, would not consider their children to have reached adulthood yet. That's shocking to me. But in the not-too-far-distant past, if you think about this, we're not even that far removed. The average age of the United States soldier in World War II was estimated to be 26 years of age. Within the drafting uh, ages from 21 to 45, the draft included... Uh, males within that period of time. However, the youngest soldier to fight the war was Calvin Leon Graham. The youngest soldier to enter into World War II. He entered just in after Pearl Harbor. Can you guess how old this soldier was? He's 12 years of age. 12 years of age to fight in World War II. Blows my mind. I mean, we can't even imagine, and people are thinking, you know, our 18 to 20-somethings aren't even in a place where they're able to fight these days. We're talking about 12 years of age. We would have no thoughts that we would even consider enlisting our 12-year-old sons and daughters. We're talking about huge shifts in culture in just a few decades. And what is worse is that there have been recent studies done, uh, as There's a looming crisis in our military that only 29% of the eligible population, ages 17 to 24, are even able to qualify to serve in our armed forces. In a report entitled, Ready, Willing, and Unable to Serve, they report that the main cause of this situation, which will cause the eventual crisis of not being able to maintain our military properly, is inadequate education, criminality, and obesity unchecked, the combined effect of these three conditions will continue to decrease the number of young adults eligible to serve in the United States military. And you have to think about these three categories. And the first was inadequate or inadequate education. Why is there inadequate education? You know, many people might throw up different, different reasons, but ultimately there's inadequate education because the trends in the culture today is there is no ambition to succeed, there, there are many different disparities and things you could look at. But ultimately, in the culture, there's no ambition to succeed. There, the second is criminality. Why is there criminality? Well, if you're not properly educated and not properly prepared, you can't get a good job. You end up in poverty. And impoverished mindsets really tend to trend towards different behaviors that are antisocial, that leaving, leading to criminal behavior. And the third is obesity. Why obesity? It's because there is a huge innate lazy and inactivity style culture in our country. Laziness and inactivity. And they all work together. And those main factors will one day cripple the most advanced and fearsome fighting force the world has ever seen. And the same characteristics we see and trends we see in our youth today are these very characteristics. There are more obese children in our culture today than there has ever been in recorded history. They're even looking at it at an epidemic level. There is a cultural wave that is trying at its best in the current generations to steal, kill, and destroy. Our enemy is doing its best to take down the great light of the world that has historically been the United States of America. But even more than a national threat is a local threat because his poison has also influenced and infiltrated the hearts and homes of those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, when we fail to be intentional and be aware of what's happening in our world, it becomes far too easy to get swept up in the madness. Hence, the need to grow in wisdom. The devil is after our youth. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He doesn't stop prowling for who he can take down, and he's after our youth and our young people. If he can destroy them or at least make them ineffective, he can go unchallenged in the world with what his plans and purposes are. He can continue to work to ruin the glorious future that God has for his church in our day and the plans that God desires for us to experience. But the reality is this. We can look at all the doom and gloom statistics in the world, but here's the reality for this generation is that our youth do not have to be a statistic. They don't. If you're here and you're within that age range, 18 to 26 or even younger, you don't have to be a statistic. Our adolescent young people do not have to get stuck in the cycle of perpetual immaturity. Immaturity. And there are really three main areas in my mind. If you're taking notes, you can uh, follow along on the screen or go to the YouVersion Bible app. The, the message notes are there on, online. But there are three main areas I believe the enemy is trying to bring destruction into our youth and, more importantly, cause the church to be ineffective in how it's discipling our young people to grow up to honor and serve the Lord and live for their potential in Christ. And the three areas are this one, fantasy over reality. Number two, ease over effort. And number three, morality without standards. Fantasy over reality, ease without, without effort or over effort, and morality without standards. These are the three main areas I see at work in our culture that are working against our young people growing up to uh, fulfill their purpose in Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at the first one. It's fantasy over reality. We live in a high-tech world this uh, time period in our lives is ultimately and famously called the Enlightenment period. There's been more technology produced and, and created in the last 100 years than ever in uh, recorded history. They say that information multiplies every year, sometimes on a daily basis, the things that we know. And I remember a time in my life before cell phones. I remember this. I I'm not, I'm not that old, but I'm also... Not that that young. I'm in that intermediate period. That was in a time just before cell phones were created. In my high school experience, nobody had a cell phone. You'd be lucky if you had a pager. And kids are like, "What's a pager?" Well, you know, it's what they had before cell phones for communication. But I remember a time before uh, that type of technology. I remember that when cell phones came out, there was such a thing as a, a phone that was not a smartphone. You know, our kids today, my kids are all under or 12 and under. None of them will probably ever remember a time where a smartphone did not exist. The youth today can access all the information they want to access with the ease of a click of a button or a swipe on a screen. It is just that readily accessible. And studies show, you can look this up, you can, there's so much research on this, that there is now an issue with the oversaturation and visual stimulation of the culture in the younger generations. It's not just that there's damaging effects on the brain because of how much we're exposed to this type of technology, but it's increasing anxiety and the inability to concentrate. You can ask any school teacher today, there is a huge issue with the behavior of just the young children because they can't concentrate, they can't sit still. My wife, she substitute taught last year, and, and there are many times you come home complaining about the things that they had to do. She said, I spent 80% of my time just trying to manage behavior and 20% of the time teaching, and that's not uncommon for uh, kids in school. Matter of fact, we started homeschooling this year, and we get done at school by around noon most days when most kids are out till like 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, it's just amazing what what is happening in our school system simply because of just the way we're raising the youth today. There's a growing frustration amongst people with the oversaturation of life or technology which is the realities of life. It creates a drive or desires to inundate ourselves with more and more escapes because we can't handle the reality of life and just being okay with life as it is. So entertainment now is no longer a luxury I remember stories my grandparents used to tell us of, you know, it being just like an every once in a while thing, getting to go to the movie for like five cents or whatever the cost of the films were back then. And now it's astronomical. But we don't think twice about, you know, going. We, you know, we'll go to the movie whenever we want, or we'll we'll have our net. We'll have movies at the click of a button with Netflix and Hulu and all the other things that we have. But entertainment's no longer a luxury. It's now become an entitlement. And for some, a growing majority, it's a necessity to life. We don't know what to do with ourselves if we don't have some type of technology right before our face. You know, if we, we don't have our games or, or we don't have our movies or our shows, we don't know what to do with ourselves. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, here's what God's word says about chasing fantasies. Proverbs 12, 11 says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Proverbs 28 19 says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. See, there's, there's an issue, there's a problem that happens when we're constantly checking out of reality and checking into fantasy. It begins to work against our mindsets, and here the writer of Proverbs and God is saying to us that there are consequences to chasing fantasies. And some youth, They get lost in the fake facades of life. It becomes impossible to deal with their reality. Again, we have many articles and statistics about relationship and emotional dysfunction because what fantasy does in chasing these fantastical worlds and inundating ourselves with all, all of these ways to get lost in fantasy, it informs us of what we should expect in our reality. And when reality doesn't measure up to fantasy, we can't cope with it. The truth is, is fantasy is not reality. It doesn't even come close. Some people spend their days dreaming about living as a character in a movie or, or that, hoping that their relationship would just work out about their favorite couple on such and such show. And then at the end, when it doesn't happen, there's discouragement. Now in our phones, we have all these uh, apps that allow you to edit photos so that even the photographs you take don't have to mirror reality. We can trim and shape and, and, and change color and do all these things so that our reality doesn't have to match What we want is our fantasy. We would rather have fantasy over reality. We have such a deep dissatisfaction with life as it is, there's no wonder why mental disorders and anxiety disorders are on the rise at an epidemic level. We just can't cope with life as it is. We can't even handle adult relationships and responsibilities because fantasies keep us thinking and processing in our interactions, our circumstances on the level as children. It keeps us from maturing in our mind. Proverbs 13, verse 11 says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows over time. You can look at trends and statistics about the current millennial generation and find that the youth are finding it ever increasingly difficult to meet demands of living up to the, the standards of life, keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, as that old adage goes. Living up to the highest standards, the moment iPhone next, whatever, they're coming out with drops. is like a panic attack. hits most people. They got to get it. They got to get the next and the latest. And the studies are showing that now the millennial generation is really struggling with a work-life balance, that when work gets in the way of life, often they will sacrifice work in order to have a more joyful and fun-filled way of life. And so what's sacrificed is what is necessary in order to fund their life, which is why credit card debt is also on the rise. Living outside your means like you're a wealthy person is a fantasy. It's a fantasy. Living inside your means as if you're not a wealthy person is reality. Well, what's more fun? Well, I'd rather live like a wealthy person. So credit card debt goes up. Debts upon debts upon debts. God is telling us here in his wisdom for youth in this generation is that if you want to be successful, if you want to live a good life, if you want to be able to enjoy the blessings of life, it does not come through the video game console. It does not come through television. It does not come uh, by any, any other means, by chasing fantasy. It comes by chasing after your goals and dreams and working hard for them, by sacrificing for them. Employers today are having an ever-difficult time finding qualified workers. I was privileged to, to really be enlightened in some of my work at Mott Community College when I worked in the workforce education program. Talked to a lot of employers, did a lot of research on labor market and statistics and just cultural trends going on. And often today, what you'll find if you speak to an employer is that they're having a hard time finding qualified workers. And it's not that they're having a hard time finding workers that can actually do the physical labor of the job, more so, they can't find people that are, are quality in their character to be worthy of the hire. They will tell you that I, would, I can teach anyone how to do the job. What I can't do is teach somebody how to be a good person. People, their, their social skills are in the tank. They're emotional, the way they relate to emotionally. They're understanding that if you're going to be late for work, a simple phone call letting your employer know is a necessary thing. It's just not even on the radar. Because a lot of the social skills that were engendered and were just common sense early on in the earlier generations is being lost on our current generation. Because chasing fantasies is crippling our adolescent young people emotionally and socially. And I, in my my own life, had to finally, a couple years ago, come to terms with an entertainment addiction in my life. I spent a lot of years medicating my stresses and my anxieties, emotional pain with video games, movies, entertainment. I, I spent all day trying to find time to check out. If I was taking the kids to the doctor's appointment, I was in the lobby, it was on my phone. If I was at home and nothing was going around, it was on my phone. If no one was home, I was playing video games or watching movies or, or whatever the case was. I spent a lot of years just trying to medicate my anxieties. But what ended up happening is when, when I tried to put the games away, my wife and I had many heart-to-hearts on this, when I tried to put the games away, Yeah, because I would never pick up a book and try to learn something. I wouldn't read the Bible consistently. I wouldn't ever spend much time in prayer. I'd get those things done just so I could get to the things that I wanted to do. I treated godly things like chores and, and fantasy, chasing fantasies, like a life's goal. But what I would end up happening is when I tried to put this stuff away, an anxiety would rise up in me and I'd feel like that I couldn't be happy unless I could play my games or I could watch my movies. And if I just thought about putting it away, it's like this, this huge overwhelming sense of, of despair would come over me and it would just was a huge issue in my life. And there are times I remember, uh, my wife will tell you, we would get into an argument and what I would end up doing is I'd leave the house and where would I go? I wouldn't go to the bar, I'd go to the movie theater. You know, because I was super Christian. So I'd go to the movie theater and I'd watch a movie by myself and I would check out for two hours, right? But what ended up happening, did my problems go away after checking out? No. Matter of fact, they got worse. You know, so the more I tried to check out and not deal with life, the worse issues became in my life. So I had to recognize that I had an entertainment addiction that not only uh, reduced my productivity, it was limiting my success, it was limiting my relationship with God, and it was keeping me an emotional child in my life when I was supposed to be an adult leading a family and raising children. See, if I had just chosen when I was younger, when I didn't have these responsibilities to put the games down, turn the TV off, pick up a book and learn something or, or find more work to do, work around the house, learn, learn how to like, do stuff in the house, fix things, fix a car, then I wouldn't have had all the patterns of brokenness I had as an adult trying to undo all of those things when I was younger. I wasted a lot of time chasing fantasies. I wouldn't have the emotional or, or the relational issues that I have today, the patterns that I have to break and identify and try to overcome today because I would have had taken care of that. When I was younger, see, I'm just now a 36-year-old husband and father of four beautiful children, finally finding the passion and drive to live up to the purpose for which God created me. But it's taken a journey. And my purpose is not to remain a child. It's to leave my father and mother and cleave to my wife, to become a successful, God-fearing, and God-honoring man. So let me plead with our youth that are here today. There's several young people in our services. Maybe you're watching online. Let me plead with you from my own experience and from the word of God. Time is a luxury you do not get back after you wasted it. Time is a luxury and you don't get it back after you wasted it. You need to look at time as an indispensable investment, not a dispensable waste. You need to look at your time as something you can invest in your life and and be proactive in the way you use your time that helps you mold and create into someone who can be successful later in life, can have healthy relationships, can be on a path to success, can be a qualified employee, can be a godly husband and father, rather than wasting your time with mind-numbing non-profitable fantasy chasing. See, every moment you waste your time numbing your mind, you're missing an opportunity to grow in wisdom in a way that might open a door for your later success. So hear the voice of reason, the cry of wisdom from your heavenly father who wants good for you. God wants good for you. He's a good father. He wants to bless your life. He wants you to have an abundant life, but he knows that doesn't come by chasing fantasies and being discontent with reality. Proverbs 1, 22 through 23 says, how long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. God wants to make you wise. He wants you to grow in wisdom. He wants boys to grow up to be men and girls to grow up to be women that are wonderfully blessed because they're living for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. You see, when kids are small, make-believe is okay. But when you grow older, make-believe can become a damaging thing. It can become a damaging world to the one that's lost in its wonder. My, my wife, uh, she's so wise, and I, and I should have listened to her earlier on than, than what I have you know, in our history, but she used to always tell me this when we'd argue about different things, she'd say, would you find it strange if, if you were married to somebody who, like a woman who, you know, just had this huge Barbie collection, and every day when she got home from work, she'd just want to go play Barbies for hours and hours, and then you'd have to go get her, be like, hey, it's, it's time for dinner, and she'd be like, oh, well, I, give me a couple more minutes, I'm not done playing Barbies yet. Would you find that odd? Or, or if a Barbie movie came out, and she's like, hey, there's a new Barbie movie coming out. I want to be first. As a matter of fact, there's a midnight showing. Can we go wait for three hours and make sure we're in the front row of this midnight showing of a Barbie movie? And would you think that's weird? Or, or there's a new Barbie, you know, game. She's like, would you find that to be strange? And, and I said, yeah, that'd be crazy. And then she said, then why is it okay for men to be obsessed with superheroes and video games? Why is it okay? Why is it okay for them to be so devoted that they can't spend time with their kids because they haven't leveled up yet? Why is it okay? And it's not. It's not okay. Because God didn't call us to be Peter Pan and always want to be a kid and have fun. He called us to grow up. And when we grow up, we put away childish things. And we pursue our potential in Christ See, it's time for children to cut the cord, to grow up and put away childish things, to stop chasing fantasies and pursue honor in adulthood, to seek responsibility, to build a good name, to grow in wisdom and experience the favor of the Lord. Number two is ease over effort. You know, growing up is hard work. But one of the major dysfunctions in the youth today is complacency. There's a complete lack of, of motivation to grow up and be successful, drive and goals seem to be a fading virtue. Because along with chasing fantasies comes a desire for comfort and ease because anything that gets in the way of comfort becomes an anxiety and a struggle and the natural reaction to anxiety and struggle is to search for greater comfort and ease. It's a broken cycle. In Proverbs 1, says, For simpletons, turn away from me, to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. Complacency is a complete not caring about anything, the good or the bad. Just, not, just an apathy, an apathy of, of mindset of apathy. Simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. This is an inerrant not caring about anything, and it's a fast track to dysfunction. See, the pathway to success isn't comfort, it's not ease, it's not laziness, it's not apathy or complacency. It is hard work. It is hard work. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11 says, But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. We have a growing generation that has many financial uh, needs and many financial hardships. Why? Because we've chased fantasies. We opt for fantasy over reality and we're afraid of hard work because that brings anxiety and the cycle goes on and on and on. When I was young, my pastor once said that if you want to get anywhere in life, if you want to get ahead in life, just work hard because you will have so little competition. Just work hard, and you'll have so little competition, and that's been true in my experience as I've gone from different job to jobs that I just worked hard. I did my very best, and often that was resume enough to get promoted to the next level. I had the opportunity to be supervisors and managers and and different things, and it's simply not because I was more qualified. Uh, I just worked harder than some of the people that I worked with. That that hard work opened the opportunity for promotion and gave me a step up for the opportunities that I was hoping and praying for. It's because the effort in a strong work ethic is what was needed for those positions. You see, challenge is not a four-letter word. Neither is failure. And this is one thing that our culture has systemically been trying to guard and shelter our kids against. Failure is not failure for a believer in Jesus Christ. It's simply a closed door that God uses to redirect you on the path toward your greatest potential. You can learn from failure like you can't from most other things in your life. Many people, in order to invent the inventions, like Thomas Edison, that said that he found a thousand and one ways not to make a light bulb, but he found one way that did work, and that's why we have light in the room today. Failure is not a negative thing. It is a very positive thing if you learn from it, if you allow it to be your teacher, if you allow it to mold you and shape you. But in our culture, we have Kids who aren't allowed to win in their sports. Everyone gets to be the winner in our school systems. We pass kids on their grade, you know, on up to the next grade level, whether or not they met expectations, because it's more emotionally harmful for them not to get to follow their friends to the next grade. We've been helicopter momming and 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 padding these kids to the point where they've lost their competitive edge and their drive. Many uh, in our culture, in our society, are trying to demasculate men. The very raw nature God. Puts in them to be workers and warriors, and to be uh, those that would fight for the rights of their their family and for righteous causes. Our world is trying to emasculate them so that they're not that force for good in our world. Proverbs twenty four verse sixteen says, "The godly man may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked." Our world is trying ter- tirelessly to. Kind of create this everyone's equal, everyone wins type of mentality, and it's killing the drive and goal setting ambition in our youth. It's killing it. And I want our young people to hear me today. The journey does not end in loss, because the pathway to success is riddled in success and failure. Just because you fail at one thing doesn't mean the journey ends. If you pick yourself up, keep going. I was just talking with, with John this morning. You know, there's, we were talking about spiritual attack, and what I've realized in my life is that the devil's main job, his main goal in bringing attack and oppression into your life is to get you to quit. If the enemy can get you to quit, he wins. But the righteous may fall seven and gets up on the eighth. The righteous do not quit. The righteous learn from their mistakes. The righteous keep going. The righteous trust God. The righteous keep moving forward. And in the Bible, that's called faith. Faith leads us forward. Faith, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. We're not training our children in this day and age to deal with failure and how to rise to success today. Again, everyone is on an equal playing field. No one has to get their feelings hurt. And the result of this cultural influence is a complacent generation who doesn't need or feel a need or have a reason to rise up and take their place. So they desire to stay a child as long as possible. And the lie of the enemy is just that, that staying a child is better and a more fulfilled life than that of adulthood. You know, and I used to feel that way in my life. You know, when my wife and I, we first got married, we were not kid people. We've talked about this before. I probably shared this. We got married. We were musicians. We were playing in a band. We were young, and we just wanted to have fun. And when we talked about getting married, we were like, we don't want to have any kids. We're just going to be us. And really, in my life, I thought, man, kids are too much of a responsibility. I don't want to have to deal with that. I won't be able to do what I want to do and, and go where I want to go and be who I want to be if I have kids. And then we got pregnant with our, our first daughter, Yay Yay, Jocelyn. And we were playing in a band, and and that created some complication. We just had to, you know, make a decision. Like, I I can't, you know, feed a family or provide for a family, trying to make it rich or make it big in the music scene. And at the same time, so we stepped away from that. And I really struggled with the the idea of being a father because it just wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something that I wanted to be. And then April 27th, 2006 happened. And my life was radically different. I went from being someone that didn't want to be a father to someone who would die for a child. She redefined. God used her to redefine my life. And what you don't know until you have children is you don't know what the blessing it is to have a child of your own. You know, you may look at responsibility and and those things as being a struggle or not fun, but I will tell you what, I will never give that day back for anything. You see, God has a purpose and plan, and it's not to stay young and immature. It's to raise you up to greater blessings, and many blessings you withhold from yourself because you failed to step up and pursue that next level. God has a purpose and plan for every life. He has a purpose. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter two, it says, we are God's masterpiece. That word masterpiece comes from the Greek word poema, which is where we get poem, which means every person is a divinely masterful, creative work of art that God intends to use to bring beauty and creativity into the world, to show his glory everyone here is a poem of God he created you he formed you in your mother's womb he knew you when you were in utter seclusion he had specificity to the way he molded you and shaped you and he didn't just do that so that you could have life he did that so you could grow up and honor him with the way he created you to be with all your likes and dislikes and all the things that he just destined before the foundation of the world for you to accomplish in the world and he did this so that you would catch a vision a god-sized vision for your life. He did this to bring blessing, not to be complacent, waste time, chase fantasies, choose comfort over ease, the things that keeps you from realizing the blessing and potential that God designed before the foundation of the world. Proverbs twelve twenty four says, Work hard and become a leader, but lazy, uh, be lazy and become a slave. The problem to complacency and apathy is that the path to prosperity is hard work. And if you want to be successful in life, you've got to catch God's vision for your life. You've got to chase after it with all the faith you can muster. And when you find your fullest potential, when you realize what God's created you to do, and you're living up to that, you will be amazed at what you see God do in and through you through the process. And finally, number three. The last area God is, or the enemy is really working on bringing down our current generation is morality without a standard. One of the most devastating issues we're facing in our world today is the issue of morality. We live in a pluralistic culture where anything goes. And if you maintain a moral standard, then you're the bigot. So there's pressure on our youth today to just accept anything the culture pushes upon us. To accept anything in the ways of issues of morality. The pressure is to accept any and everything, no matter what is clearly defined in the Word of God. Proverbs 28, verse 7 says this Young people who obey the law are wise. That's the law of God. But those with wild friends bring shame to the parents. Those who don't just read God's Word, but cling to it for the pathway of everlasting life, they will be known as the wise. But those who allow their friends and their culture to define morality for them, to define what is good in this life, to define right and wrong, they will be ashamed of their parents. And eventually, if they don't repent, they'll be destroyed. They'll be destroyed by the consequences of their own actions. You see, sin is fun for a time. If it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. But sin is a lot of fun. But sin is only fun for a season, the word of God says, and it has consequences that go far and reach further than we can imagine. And I truly believe that we have arrived to the last days. Now, we've been in the last days since Jesus rose from the dead, but I believe we're closer to his return than any time in history. We're closer to the final moments where Jesus is gonna sound that trumpet and he's gonna come back for his, king, his kids. He's gonna come to set up his kingdom. You know, the first time Jesus came, it was not to judge. He says, I don't come to judge or condemn. I come that all may have life and life more abundantly. But when he comes again, he is going to come to judge sin and set up his eternal kingdom." And there's a judgment coming on those who follow sin and not only commit it, but approve and support those who do. Jude chapter 1 verse 7 says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. God is going to come to judge sin. And the enemy is doing its best to get the youth of our culture and the youth of our nation and the young people in the adolescent time, this this formative time where they develop into who they're going to be for the rest of their life to just accept anything the world has to offer and in turn are going to bring consequences and judgment upon themselves. And it breaks the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. You see as a father when I think of my own children I think of the times that they're going to leave the home and it kind of scares me to think I'm going to let them go and just trust God to lead their lives. But there are many parents who have done that and their children end up making decisions that have brought pain and suffering struggle loss and I can't Imagine how powerless you feel as a parent to watch your child make destructive decisions and not be able to do anything about it. And some parents have gone through that. And our heavenly father is a good father who's calling out to us to grow in wisdom so that very thing doesn't happen. Whereas a father who has given his very life to love his children just has to sit back and watch child after child after child follow folly and end up bringing hardship, pain, and destruction into their lives. It grieves the father's heart. See, God doesn't tell us anything so that we can't have fun. He tells us what we need to know so that we can have a blessed life. He loves us beyond words can imagine. We, my wife and I, we watched a, a video this week and they were discussing this topic and one of the guys said, you know, if you think about Jesus and what he went through, the horrors of the cross, the horrors of the cross, every beating, every hair that was ripped out of his beard, every lash of the whip, every piercing of the nails and the, the sword in the side, and the fact that the Bible says he took on himself all the sin of the world for all time. He took every curse, every sickness, every disease, all oppression, the full brunt weight of the attack of the enemy. He took all of that upon himself and then he went into hell and took on hell himself just so that he could create a pathway of salvation for us. How severe, how intense was the suffering of Christ? And to think if he went through that much suffering, how much more suffering is in the Time to come for those who don't know the Lord. You see, God is not just interested in our day to day, He's also interested in our eternity. And he desires for everyone to have a relationship with him so none will perish and all will go to heaven. So everyone can have eternal life. That's his will. That's his plan. That's his desire that everyone would say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Be redeemed. Be set free from all their hardship, struggle, that the addictions that you wrestle with could be broken, that your depression and suffering that you have can be overdone. He desires that. But more so, he desires that in eternity he could spend forever and ever and ever with you every day, never leaving you nor forsaking you. God wants you so badly. But the morality and the culture we live in is trying tirelessly hard to pull us away from our good Father who wants good things for us, to follow sin that will one day end up leading us to destruction. The last scripture I'm going to read is Proverbs chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Solomon says, While I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of the immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. A few weeks ago, we talked about the immoral woman and what that signified. But what's important here is that this young man was strolling along, and who was he with? He was with his friends. And you have to know that they knew exactly where they were going. He knew where this immoral woman lived. He knew he had this wicked curiosity. What if? What if? What if we just had a good time? What if we tried that drug and it didn't do anything but give us a good time? What, what, I wonder what it feels like. I wonder what being with that woman or that man is like. I wonder all these things. I wonder if I go to the party, what might happen? And uh, you know, we just—we have all these thoughts that come through our mind, just like this young man. You know, he followed the crowd. He was complacent to what God wanted in his life. He was uncaring to God's will and purpose for his life. He didn't heed wisdom or hear God's call to to protect him from hardship. He followed the culture. He followed his desires. And he went near the house of the immoral woman. And if you read the story, you'll find out that he meets his destruction. And this is what the devil wants for our youth. He wants it for everyone, but especially the youth in our generation. He doesn't want you to be strong and stand alone. He wants you to crumble in the crowd. He wants you to follow what everyone else is doing, he wants you to ignore God, ignore his word, ignore the heart cry of your heavenly father who simply wants to love you and bless you and see you live in an amazing life. He, the enemy wants to bring you to your destruction. And you have the opportunity today to make a decision for your life. To give God your heart today to surrender to your heavenly father, to live for your purpose, to seek his word, to grow in wisdom, to avoid the pitfalls of danger that the enemy is surrounding you with all throughout your journey of life and choose to be blessed by following Jesus into an abundant life. But you know, it doesn't just happen by being complacent. You don't just morph into the blessings. You have to make a decision. Am I going to keep chasing fantasy or am I going to start living in reality? Am I going to keep pursuing ease and comfort or am I going to start giving my best effort? Am I just going to try to be moral without living according to the standard or am I going to live according to God's perfect will and plan? You see, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy He wants to steal your potential. He wants to rob you of a legacy. He wants to destroy your influence. But you know what? Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Let's bow our heads for prayer in this place as we go into a time of response. Maybe you're here today and you've made some decisions in your life, old or young, And you just wonder, what can God do with me now? Let me tell you, friend, let me tell you, you matter to God the same today as you did yesterday. He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. You matter to Him, and He's waiting for you to call out, to give your heart to Him so that He can wash that stuff away. You say, well, I've made so many mistakes. I've ruined so many relationships. I've done, I've not followed wisdom. I've just gone my own way and I've made a mess of my life. God is in the business of turning every mess into a miracle if you give it to him. And all you have to do is just call out to him and say, Father, forgive me. I know I've made mistakes. Forgive me. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit begin to renew my mind. Just invite him into that place to bring healing into those broken areas of your life and dedicate your life today to serving him. And don't just say it with your mouth. Begin to take steps by by coming and getting engaged in a church to be discipled, be in life group, go deeper in the word, learn how to pray, learn how to to read the scriptures and, and, and interpret that so you can know God's will and plan for your life. Get connected if you're struggling with with addictions because of decisions you made when you were younger. Get connected in our Celebrate Recovery. Start taking action now. Change doesn't happen in an instant. It happens over a journey, a journey where every step you surrender to God and say, God, I trust you. I lean not on my own understanding, but I'm gonna acknowledge you in all my ways. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with God. You've attended church. You kind of believe in God, but you've, you've never really had a relationship. You've not heard the voice of God. You don't know his presence. You don't even know if, if you'd go to heaven today when you die. And you say, you know what, Pastor Joey, I'm tired of going my own way. I'm tired of struggling and searching for answers. Today, I want to trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ. If that's you here today, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, that's me. I want to give my life to Christ. I'm tired of going my own way. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Thank you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, in the quietness of this moment, if that's you here today, I just want you to pray this, just this this prayer that will begin a change in your life from this point forward. If you need to begin a relationship with Christ, just call out from right where you are. Say, Father, thank you for loving me and sending Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin. Please forgive me. I give my life to you. Jesus is my Lord. From today, going forward, fill me with your spirit and renew my mind. Take my life and guide my steps. That from here on out, I would follow your will and live for the purpose that you created me. In the name of Jesus. So we continue in an attitude of prayer. Whatever God has spoken to your heart, maybe you're a young person here today and you want to dedicate your life to Christ. You know, he's speaking to you and you know, you want to... Uh, there's something in your heart that has been just laying, you know, you want to serve him and going to the ministry or, or maybe, you know, you just want to serve God with your, the rest of your life. Maybe you're here today and God's put on your heart that, that there's an area uh, that in the marketplace that, that you want to be a chef, you want to be a business leader, whatever it is that you know God's calling you to to use for his kingdom and for his honor and glory. The next few moments when we stand, you come forward and respond, lay yourself down, and just give your life to Christ. Say, God, from this day forward, I'm going to pursue your purposes with my life. Maybe you've made some wrong decisions or you have some friends that are influencing you in a wrong way, and you recognize, God, that is heading me down a wrong path. Today, I'm going to give that to you, and I'm going to start seeking godly relationships and godly friends. Maybe there's something else in your life. You need a healing. In your body, you've got pain in your body, or maybe an emotional struggle, there's something that you're battling with, and you'd like prayer. We'll be down front to pray with you. Whatever it is, when we stand, you come forward and you give your life to Christ. You come forward and pray, and we'll pray for the next few moments. As well, the microphone is down front. If God's laid an encouraging word on your heart, or He's done something miraculous in your life this week, please come and share that to encourage the church. But for the next few moments, as Tony sings, we're going to respond to the Word of God today. Let's all stand. Up.